Diversity is a word we hear a lot now. In fact, we hear the word a bit too much. It's become a catchphrase. In Australia, diversity has been part of cultural policy for decades. But how successful has it really been? In theatre, does the landscape match the general population? Is the theatre community as diverse as the rest of Australia? And if not, what are the ways to get theatre to better reflect Australian society? I'm Angela Caterns, and joining me for this discussion are Darren Yap, theatre director, Michelle Lee, playwright and author, and Lee Lewis, artistic director at Griffin. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so what do you think about this claim? Is the theatre community as diverse as the rest of Australia? Darren? No. <laughs> Basically, no. I second that, no. <laughs> and I would third it, no. Well, why not Lee Lewis? Well, because it's been the territory of, of privileged white men for a really long time. And there's been a lot of work in the last 40 years to try and unpick that. But like the rest of society, the pointy end of the plane is still filled with people that are very good at protecting their privileged position. And so even now, so the sort of top-down structures at management and board level continue to be dominated by, you know, white male Eight out of nine Privileged. of our major performing arts theatres are headed up by artistic directors who are white men. Wow. Yeah. And, and for me, I remember in the 80s watching, um, it was an SBS documentary, so I was a high school kid and there was a Vietnamese girl going, I just wish I could see more people like me. And I remember even then going, and now now, this hasn't changed. There is no reflection for me as whether they're Asian or Indian or... There have been particular initiatives uh, in the theatre on screen, but that hasn't necessarily accumulated to a point where people can relax and not notice the difference. Uh, when you go and you see a, a very diverse cast, A, you don't get to see it very often, and B, it's unusual. So you're not just accepting it as a regular reflection of the streets you've just walked off of. It's, there's a statement of some sort which, which loads the casting decisions in various ways and makes you question the work that you're seeing, it makes you wonder if there is some agenda sitting underneath it. Uh, I think we're a long way off at being normal, which is devastating for the next generation of artists coming through because yeah. you'd hope that they'd just have a normal working career where they uh, have access to the opportunities that everybody else does. Yeah. Michelle, is there is there some kind of quota system? Have you had experience of any kind of quota system, any sort of, um, you know, positive discrimination? Yeah, so I've, I've been writing plays, I guess, more professionally for about 10 years and I just kind of draw that line in the sand from when I started applying for grants and at the time it was emerging artists kind of grants. And I, I think back then there were several programs that were targeted towards artists who identified as being from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. I mean, I don't know if, if they were directly because of quota systems from companies or from the Australia Council, but something approximating that. So I have, I have benefited from those types of targeted programs. Mm. You, you sounded a little bit, you went sort of tisk tisk. Tisk tisk, no, I, I'm absolutely in support of that. Oh, I good. think it should, I think it absolutely should happen and I think there should be positive discrimination to mm. uh, enable people to have access to opportunities to get better at their craft and so there can actually be people gathering the skills that they need to be performing and writing at the highest levels in this, in this country. No problem with that at all. I don't think there are official quota systems, mm. but there has been uh, pressure brought to bear by more vocal, probably social media groups, uh, saying, no, this is not okay and it needs to be fixed. And yes, generationally there's been a shift where there are artistic directors and companies going, we need to address this, we need to do more. So on the emerging artist level, there are definitely more opportunities. But again, 
then uh, at the fully produced end of the scale, there are just not the, the same number of opportunities. Darren, mm. you spent some time working in Singapore recently, yes. didn't you? Yes. Just tell us what that was like for you. Very complex. I love going there because I fit in there and I just did a brand new original musical with 28 Asian people. And of course that's a different context, but I do feel very like it's normal for me. And I love, I'm Australian, you know, and I love it here, but I don't have the same identity or feeling, but it's only because it's so fresh. I just spent seven glorious weeks creating new work with this extraordinary cast of Asian people from different Malaysian, you know, um, Singaporean, Chinese. And that, that ability to kind of be with your tribe is really wonderful. And I'm very grateful that I can uh, work there and very grateful that I can work in Australia. Mm. But I do feel very much it's a, it's a great landscape for me to to participate. I think you said it made you feel liberated. Yes, it does. I've th so does that mean that you feel more constrained then working in Australia? I'm just, I'm just aware. I mean, I think, I think at 49, I'm so aware as an Aussie who's third generation here that I, because of, I stopped acting as an Asian actor because I had to keep putting on Asian ac accents um, and played <laughs> the triad member and the microbiologist and the refugee. And so I guess that's part of me. It is, it's, it's kind of subjective. I get, get very, as ex-actor, very emotional about the types of roles that Asian people still play here. But I also know, and Lee is right, it has, it has changed, it has changed, but I, I wish it would just accelerate faster. faster. You know, and the thing about Singapore, which I have to say, whether they do Pillow Man or Doubt or they do a new original work, it is colorblind casting because it's an Asian cast and they will play white people, black people, Asian people, so it's not even an issue. It's not really occurring here, is it, in terms of works that are, are classics or you know, remounts of ex established right. works? Like the casting still is pretty conservative. That's right, I think as far as, I mean, I was talking to an actor the other day who is um, Asian-Australian. She is, just did her, her first Belle Shakespeare play and she said that was just, you know, I think she's been practising for at least 10 years and that to her was a bit of a revelation. It's the first time, she, and significant because it's the first time she's been cast that way. Right. Another actor I was speaking to too who also is Asian-Australian and did some work in London. So 12 years ago she was cast in a Moliere play and, right. you know, it's come back to Australia and it just, it won't happen. It will be the microbiologist, doctor or the, for women, the sex worker. Yeah. That's right. kind of the pigeonholes that, you know, she mm. can kind of take up. And so when we talk about diversity, is that really just a code for ethnicity? Yeah, it is here. That's what people mean, yeah. as opposed to there just needs to be a re reflection of mm. the range of people that you see in the street. Mm. Uh, yeah. it, me, diversity doesn't include uh, white people. Yeah, and, it, and it, right. it often doesn't include other types of minorities, say uh, queer, mm. um, you know, people with a disability. It, it, it often mm. is interchangeable with, with ethnicity. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Michelle, is there a downside to the kind of absence of diversity? I think you told me about um, the fact that you found it really hard to find a mentor. Can you tell me yeah, that in your words? Yeah, yeah. So as I said, when I began to think about myself more seriously as a playwright 10 years ago, um, often at the time um, I was being asked, you know, through applications, grant applications to speak to an existing body of work that I was building upon. And at that time, and it's still true to this day, my, my work is about, um, largely about identity politics. So, Back then I was looking around for you know, mentors and other people who looked like me um, and I, I, I couldn't really see it. 
they were in this meeting. I think now it is changing. I think certainly looking at artists who are younger than me, there seems to be a lot more and I think they're more vocal and they're articulating things, yeah, more loudly. Um, but you know, t even 10 years ago, I felt like in Melbourne, there weren't as many practising playwrights, theatre makers. And do you feel a responsibility to represent your culture in what you write? Oh, yeah, in, in, in the sense that um, I describe myself as being Asian Australian, I describe myself as being female as well. Um, I, and I do that because I, I want to call attention to the fact that that is a part of my practice and who I am. And you know, I, I hope that in the next generation, the, the new normal might not need to emphasise mm. so obviously that that is you know, a, a part of um, what the person's practice is. But at the moment, I, I think where we are in Australia um, and in theatre, that it is important to say this is a part of who I am because it's also a part of what's missing. Yeah. And so, you know, where are the exciting new projects here which actually embody diversity on stage? Well, there's one here at the moment. <laughs> no, well, that's that's probably why this conversation is happening is because of the the energy that's built up around rice uh, and around Michelle's writing. Because I think I think industry wide, Michelle became much more visible about four or five years ago, and everybody went, "Oh, she can write." Hello, and we've, there's been a, a waiting for one of her plays to make it to a main stage, so that there could be the influence of that play on a wider audience and and on the artistic community as well. And I think that it, it is indicative of a of a different type of writing that's starting to happen, where where success is not dependent on burying your identity and mimicking successful works of the past. So we're starting to see new opinions and new voices and, and more complex representations of characters that honestly previously would have been minor characters to a male story. So, so I think that we're starting to flesh out what's the worlds that are actually possible on stage. So that's what we're seeing with Rice. Uh, it's, it's not every play. Uh, uh, there, there was at Sydney Theatre Company, there was Chimerica, which was a Lucy, a Lucy Kirkwood play, so not an Australian play, but this huge uh, Asian-Australian cast. And someone said to me, it's so good to be seeing all these fresh faces. And I was like, what are you talking about? These people have been working for the last 20, 30 years here, often having to go over to America to work and overseas to work, but these are full careers. This is not like first time. And so producing content like that, is that kind of um, speaking to new audiences or at least speaking also to diverse audiences and bringing different people into the theatre? I mean, when um, Malthouse had Little Emperors on earlier this year, which was a collaboration with Lachlan Philpott, an Australian playwright, and I don't know the name of the director, but a young avant-garde Chinese director, um, and Little Emperors is about the one-child policy in China. And going along to see that, like, I certainly felt looking in the foyer of the Malthouse that there were more people who I, I identify as being um, of Asian background. But I, I don't think having a play that has Asian content or whatever the content is should only be attracting just new audiences. I think it should be speaking to the established audiences mm. as well, that it shouldn't be a siloed play, one part of the program that only speaks to one community. Um, yeah, I, I think that it should be yeah, speaking more broadly. I mean, I, I, this is a slight tangent, but I, I guess for me, identity-wise, and I'm also because um, Lee has given me this opportunity. It's, I love that as a, a Chinese guy, a Chinese-Australian guy, I'm about to direct Diving for Pearls, which is one of the most Australian plays. Yeah. So for me, that's really important too, whether it's a subconscious thing for an audience or not, yeah, that yeah. I can do that. 
You call yourself a Chinese guy. You're a third-generation Australian. <laughs> what that's the right. hell? I know what the hell. I mean, I'm proud of my Chineseness too, and I guess that's why. As and especially as I get older, I I think as Michelle's saying, I I think I may have been in very aware to not celebrate my Chineseness when I was younger. You know, but I am very conscious, as Michelle's saying, to capitalise on that because I think it's really important that I, for younger people too, that they can have um, role models and people who who can look up to me, and that's a new thing for me. I think, Angela, and, and I think it, it does that sense of having to hide your identity. It kind of goes beyond theatre as well, because I mean, probably like you, I've heard of lots of people from Asian backgrounds or European backgrounds who said, "My parents said, you know, b- because we were the social pressure to assimilate, yes. didn't want us to learn our language, didn't want us to appear to be other." So I think it is contingent, not necessarily just on us as individuals, but society at large. But I think there is, yeah, a strong impetus for us to say, "Well, actually." Uh, I do look a certain way and it's not something I'm shying away from. But like you said, it doesn't mean that the only thing I am going to write is an Asian story. Like Rice, my play, the the central characters, one is Indian, another one is Chinese. My background is Hmong. So I certainly don't want to always be writing plays about Hmong women because that's very limiting as well as an artist. Yeah. But you do come with a a certain expertise in describing. Yeah, otherness from yes, an yeah, inside point yeah. of view and that's interesting in that question of who at the moment who can write what story and not yeah, yeah. there is there's detail that you can offer to an audience insight that you can offer to an audience and now looking at census information you kind of go yeah. half the population of the country has that information so it's actually becoming the dominant story so yeah. so our writers that actually come with that knowledge are incredibly valuable and what i'm finding is a real and at about time trauma in more established writers who are going, well, what do you mean you're not interested in this play that I've written about this? And I go, yeah, but you're not really offering anything new in there. Mm. But it's interesting because I can feel the audience responding really positively to works that are reflecting their lived experience. Mm. Pretty much like him, most of the country's got a grandparent that's lived somewhere else. Yes. You know, and so in everybody's internal family stories. There are stories of the loss of culture and then the gaining and the reconfiguration of other cultures and and Christmases that are complex, even if you celebrate Christmas, even if you don't. So the complexity of that is our lived reality and you sit in this theatre and you see people going, oh yeah, I recognise that. As opposed to, oh wow, isn't that strange or exotic? That's not yeah, that's yeah, not what's happening to the audience yes, anymore. Yeah, I read a great comment on a theatre community website, and it said these conversations will only bear the fruit of change when we all embrace the state of being diverse and stop acting out diversity. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, it's not. It's not something that sits outside us. Mm. Um, yes. actually... I guess that's what that means. Yeah. Yes, it does. Just living it. Mm. And so do you think theatre needs to evolve as a form to allow for a wider array of, of voices and stories on, on our stages? Yeah, I mean, I guess my question is for that, it should happen and how does that evolve? Because it needs to be, and I do mean this genuinely, there needs to be more people than Lee who is very conscious in the higher position that she's in to make those man- those artistic visionary things in Australia that... Um, that can create that change because, you know, it's, it's easy for me to be, and I'm not being complacent, but I need people in bigger positions and higher positions and management positions and producers mm. who want to see that. And so is there a diversifying in those kind of departments where no. these decisions are being <laughs> no, made? there's not. I'm about as diverse as it gets, yes. and that's just because I'm a female. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, like, you know, I wish it were the case, uh, but 
that's, uh, I really mean that. The pointy end of the, end of the plane is being protected. Uh, and I wish it weren't the case, because you don't like to think that... The, and is it conscious? No, look, I've written about institutional racism and the way people will use uh, business models and risk mm. to, to push out reasons for, reasons for doing, doing works, push away those works. Uh, so people can justify to themselves why they're actually making those decisions. And honestly, we use the idea of subscri our subscribers wouldn't like it. And I'm like, well, then get different subscribers. Mm. And I'm, I'm yes. actually sick of hearing that, that comeback from the, from the major companies. And I'm really conscious that I can, I can say these things, but I'm coming from a really unpowerful place when mm. it comes to the amount of money that's spent in this country on the arts. We're tiny. Uh, and we shouldn't be having the influence that we're having. The leadership should be coming from Sydney Theatre Company, it should be coming from Melbourne Theatre Company, where it should be coming from the opera, uh, the, the, where there's actually significant resource to invest, and they should be doing it more, and they should be talking about it more, so that, so that the 13-year-olds that are sitting in the audience see their pathway to working in those places, because right now it's really hard to see. So the 13-year-olds sitting there going, oh, maybe the, uh, other people do theatre, not me. This podcast was commissioned by Griffin Theatre Company. It was produced by me, Angela Caterns, with sound by Jason Blackwell.